0: Back, but
1: uh mark is
0: still not back thank you for being back tim mark I, i'm happy to be here and uh yeah. you know look mark <laughs> is engaged uh, uh, pretty, and, it seems uh, to
1: be uh yeah. so so uh, in, in as the mark's world turns um mark's trip to paris was apparently romantically very successful and uh how could it not be and she is here now <laughs> Which is why Mark is indisposed. uh I cannot wait to get him back on this show and and just uh, humiliate and embarrass him to like the end of the year. flyer miles oh yes. Up. Very much so. So uh, anyway, we uh, we got a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about, and uh, we are recording this now in the wake of the Super Bowl. So everybody go back and see movies again.
0: Yeah, 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 that'll be Tom
1: Brady, five rings, man.
0: Yeah. Well, look, uh, he's gonna be
1: forty this year.
0: A fantastic comeback. I gotta be impressed. You can't help but be impressed.
1: Uh, I mean, I've never wanted to sort of give him the. the props of being in the same league with Joe Montana and uh, and look, Terry, look, look, and Terry, Terry, look,
0: man, when it comes, to, when it comes, people talk about they talk about all these 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 quarterback greatest football, and they, and they started Tom Brady, and these yeah. Manning boys, you know. What I'm, <laughs> and I'm sitting here, I'm thinking to myself, Joe Willie, name it, yeah, you people haven't even mentioned Joe Willie, yeah, Joe Willie with no knees at all, yeah. Could, could play. It. So, anyway, I, so I have a little trouble engaging yeah. in these conversations if we're not going to talk about them the anymore. greatest
1: thing that Joe Namath ever did was the love boat. No,
0: you know, <laughs> Joe, 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 Joe Willie was a man that could yeah. wear pantyhose and was still damn manly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see Tom Brady do that. I don't think all
1: right well uh, also we should mention Tim and I are going to be part of the uh, KPCC Film Week Oscar show which is going to be live if you're in Los Angeles come on down go to uh, uh, scpr.org the uh, Southern California public radio station uh, website, and uh, that'll direct you to get some tickets. We're going the to... Ace, the Ace, first be-
0: time, down... Uh, you've, you've, you've been doing these things for
1: way longer than me. Well, not that much longer, but yeah, we're, we've done it at the Egyptian Theater with the Cinematheque for many years, and uh, we're going to the Ace Theater downtown, the, the United Artists Theater. That it was It's ancient, it was built uh, for United Artists, it yeah. has been preserved beautifully, and it is in the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Pickford and
0: Fairbanks, and it's... Um- much bigger space. Much bigger space. The, the the unique thing about that space is that that has always been an open and operating yeah. theater from day one. Not one of these uh, yeah. refurbished and reclaimed... Uh, there are lots of those downtown. The Orpheum and other ones yeah. went away. I mean, they... During your childhood, because you're from here, I'm not. Yeah. I've been here for you know 27 years. This is my 27th year. Congratulations. Wait, wait is the first person I met. Wait is the first person I met when I when I came to LA. We yeah. were working for you know yeah. ye who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we do that. They were, they were actually yeah. lovely people. They watch. were. We, we were working for them, uh, and, and you were my editor at that Entertainment Today. Yeah. And which is a whole weird story in and of itself That's that a, newspaper that did, yeah. which was around from the sixties. But anyway, during your youth, what of those theaters, those downtown theaters on Broadway, yeah. were live Hatton theaters, were during none. your youth, none of them were yours. None really. None. So they, they were, all preceded even you oh, as yeah. a
1: native. Those things were those things were most of those downtown theaters stopped being theaters in the Oh gosh, I want to say the 1960s. They became swap meets and discos yeah. and everything else. And they've been slowly trying to get them. You yeah, know, one restored. or two
0: have come back and, yeah. and been restored. Yeah. And anyway, the Ace has always been there, always been operating.
1: Yeah, Ace is uh, Ace
0: is uh, you know Ace is the place. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: it is. It is a legendary theater. It is in beautiful condition. So at 1 p.m. on the 19th Sunday, the 19th Sunday, February 19th, 1 p.m. Come on down to the Ace, and uh, Tim and I will be on stage along with. Claudia Puig and Peter Rayner and uh, Justin Andy, Justin Andy Chang Clinton. and Andy Klein and uh, Amy Nicholson, Christy Lemire, Amy Nicholson. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a great old time. We'll all be up on. T- Actually, I think Claudia is out of town. Is Claudia not? I think Claudia home? is uh, is running a film festival somewhere at that time. Yeah. So. She's been doing a lot of that, so uh, we may not have Claudia, but we'll we'll have a great time. We'll have a good bunch of people. Um, Charles Solomon will, of course, uh, yeah. weigh in on uh, why everyone else is wrong about animation, and he <laughs> is always right. Yeah, and uh, so it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Uh, and that show will, for those who can't be there live, that'll be uh, aired on the uh, uh, the Film Week podcast, I guess, for yeah, the, for those the, who don't get it. The, the following Friday, Friday the twenty fourth,
0: at eleven. A.M. now. Film week right. has moved. Film up week an has hour. moved to eleven. I mean, of course. Again, when you started doing the show, it was eleven. It was an eleven o'clock show. Yeah, it was an eleven point. o'clock show when I started doing it. As a matter of fact, it was. Uh, um, and then we moved till noon, which I got to tell you, I kind of loved. Yeah, I did too. Uh, a little bit later in the traffic day, traffic but was but That's better. okay. You know what? I'm I'm kind of okay with the earlier thing. Uh, uh, now you know, we'll we'll just get it a little bit earlier and yeah. we'll see what happens. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kick in here. We've got
1: uh, let's start off. We've got some uh, LGBT titles here, uh, which uh, Tim can uh, launch us on. Um, Akron uh, uh,
0: is the first one here. The name of this title. Uh, this is about a college freshman who goes to the University of Akron, where he meets and falls falls in love. Well, you know, with his first boyfriend. It's one of those sort of coming of age stories. Interesting hook is that the fella he falls in love with is on the football team. Which of course, you know, leads you to one of those stories about him being able to come out. Who's coming out? You know, this kid is coming out. He wants the other guy to come out. Uh, you know, it, where, where like, it gets,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, that's it, all
0: good. Yeah, but here's the thing that I wonder. All right, and, you know, and, and far be it for me to sort of make these judgments about <laughs> these things. Sitting here, a relatively straight man. Would Aren't we over the coming out thing now? Are we I, not done with that? I I find it interesting.
1: I'm curious as to how Moonlight is going to affect this because yeah. Moonlight is, you know, the LGBT films have been a a target market much like faith-based films you 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 love them or you don't they're targeted to these people they don't really aim to cross over and once you start getting things like moonlight which raise the bar mm. uh and find a crossover audience i wonder how that how that if that has a reciprocal effect
0: yeah and uh and and, and just posing the question what what can these films be about now yeah. i understand i was a big um you know i've always been a big out out. Uh, Fest supporter, generally speaking, and back in those early days that we were just talking about yeah. a minute ago, I used to, I used to get sent to, to cover all of the gay films. Yeah. So I, I always, I always had this sort of like affection for them. My brother's gay. I'm just, I'm just from a very gay friendly society. <laughs> I'm from a very gay friendly family. These things never, uh, uh, you know, really affected me in any particular way. It was just always sort of cinema for me. But I noticed long ago. Yeah. That most of this cinema was about the process of coming out in yeah. one way or another whether it was really really funny films like In and Out remember that yeah. one with uh who sure. uh, was Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Kline and Tom Selleck back yeah. in the day. And here we are now and it just seems to me that that can't continue to be the story in cinema that is you know yeah. it has to be something else. So we'll yeah. have to see cuz I got another one in my hand it's uh, it's about the same thing. It's called yeah. Jonathan yeah, uh, and, and and it's uh, you know it's it's a lovely film. I noticed just because I happened to look at the user reviews mm-hmm. on IMDb, got one star. Ah. you know, so that's that's from the uh, that's from the gay community. So we'll have to see about that
1: one. And then we got Feral, uh, which is a television series. This is from TLA. Uh, this is the first season of Feral, which uh, is essentially a, about a, an art- a gay artists community. Yeah, I, I mean it's you know. Interesting
0: thing about that is that it's, it's a television thing, and it's yeah. set in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, other than uh, first of all, you don't see all that many shows set any place other than yeah. in Los Angeles or New York, or maybe occasionally Chicago, San, San or Francisco, San Francisco. yeah. Although sure. so the, the coast sort of occupy yeah. a lot of that that territory, uh, you know, this show sort of set and actually you know featuring the landscape of Memphis, Tennessee. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well. All right. So we got that. Let's
1: uh, let's shift into new movies. Yeah. And uh, Tim, I I am an enormous fan of Queen of Cotway. I'm a little disappointed this did not get more love at the Oscars.
0: Yeah. I get why it didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's a but little... if Hidden Figures did, then this could have because yeah. this film and Hidden Figures live in the exact same lane. Exact same
1: lane. The difference is that uh, 20th Century Fox very heavily pushed Hidden Figures for awards. And Disney was content for Queen of Kotwe to just sort of be there and make some money. And uh, and they, they don't really get behind their films uh, in an Oscar way anymore, which is really sad. Queen of Kotwe is uh, directed by Mira Nair and tells a true story. And mind you, you have to understand, Mira Nair, Indian director, but mm. she lives in Uganda. Yes. She has always lived in Uganda. It's always been a very, very large Indian diaspora that lives in Uganda. Um, all the way back to when Idi Amin kind of persecuted them and tried to drive them out. But they've always been there. And so she considers Uganda and the people of Uganda as much her home and her people as she does India. That is significant because Miranai, who I adore, by the way, I mm. truly adore her. I've interviewed her twice. For some reason, she always remembers me, calls me Mr. Wade. <laughs> and um, there's something there's something really extraordinary about this very eloquent, patrician Indian woman who can curse like a truck driver, and <laughs> drop those words in when you least expect them. It's shocking and it's delightful at the same time. Um, the story Queen of Katwe uh, is a story of uh, kids from the slums of Uganda who learn to play chess. David Oyelowo is the, the, uh, the young student who teaches them chess to try to improve their lives because this has all the lessons you learn from chess or life lessons. And how he basically is able to take this team of these kids from the slums to challenge the elite prep school yeah. ugandan kids you know i didn't know again there was a true
0: story based true, on a true story, story, based on story, story. Based on and story.
1: how they go and they walk into these kids who you know are are uh, snooty and wear the uniforms and the whole thing and uh basically show them up and have amazing chess skills i think this is such an inspiring movie yeah it's one of those underdog movies you're swapping out you know chess for basketball or football it's rudy it's all of those movies i get it Cool, we've, running. cool runnings, Rocky. We've 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 seen this so many times, but you know what? The performances are so good and they're so wonderful. And I love this movie and I cried. And you root for them. And you know what? I, I applaud Disney because there there's not a white face anywhere in this movie. And most people I know who saw it don't. <laughs> that doesn't even dawn on them. It does sound, it's it It's a it, people movie. It's yeah, a movie it, about people.
0: It, 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 and you're right about that. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, and, and, and had you not mentioned it it, it would it would, it would not bear mentioning except Wouldn't. that it does bear mentioning because it, there has been a time when disney would have made well, you know wh- whoever would have yeah. made a similar movie and they would have put at the center of it a white a, teacher a, 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 some sort yeah. of an anchor yeah. uh, for the rest of what they would think society yeah. would need to anchor to, to, to attach to the movie here Donated. they thought the better of it, it was necessary they trust, and, the movie, and the movie did well too the movie did
1: very well they trusted the people they trusted the actors who are all absolutely extraordinary and uh it's just wonderful it is absolutely wonderful the kids and the, the the kid actors in this are just to to die for they're absolutely wonderful oh is absolutely great and um you know, it's uh, it's just an absolutely wonderful film. It's a wonderful film. So I uh, and and Lupita Nyong'o, Oscar winner, we should point out, is in this as well. plays uh, plays mother of uh, of Medina Nalwanga, who is the girl who sort of anchors this team.
0: It's just delightful. Fell in I- love with her when she was sort of roaming around. They were all sort of roaming around together doing press. I did all, yeah. a lot of press for this, and uh, just totally fell in love. Uh, with that young girl, she's uh, she, fantastic. She is absolutely great, yeah. and you know, novice so, actor who was just so very good.
1: Between things like *Slumdog Millionaire* and this, I I think there is uh, there's a sea change in Hollywood, and uh, people are are less afraid of making films that don't sort of. Um, fit the cultural mold anymore so I, I applaud him for that because it's not just and it's not just race it's another country yeah we forget that yeah and I had no idea that there was this big class thing in Uganda yeah that you got the prep school people and then you got the slums and the one looks down on
0: the other yeah every culture right you can't you can't, you can't, you can't, can't get, get away from it you can't yeah. get away from it uh and then we've also got okay uh the ninth life of louis drox yeah uh alexandre aja the director of this film you know alexander the hills have eyes yeah he's done a lot of Uh, horror stuff french director uh, french director high tension actually was the one that turned me on to him which is a really really tight little film this one's about a psychologist uh uh who finds himself drawn into a mystery The test, the boundaries of fantasy and reality, it has to do with all these sort of like uh, experiments and things like that. Um, You know, this is pretty, it's a pretty neat little film, kind of intense. I like him. I like Aja. He's he's more of a horror movie kind of guy, generally speaking, when you think about his stuff. Uh, This has a special feature on it, the making of The Ninth Life of Louis Drax, which might be interesting, Um, a digital HD ultraviolet. Um, So, you know, pretty neat film. I liked it quite a lot. Jamie Dornan, uh, by the way, and Aaron Paul in the movie.
1: We've got a couple of animated films here on Blu-ray and 4K for one of them. The Blu-ray is Long Way North, which is uh, from the, uh, the same animation team that did Secret of Kells and uh, Song of the Sea. And uh, it, so it has that very um, kind of flat but painterly style to it. Very nicely done. Really, really beautiful. Set in turn-of-the-century Russia, believe it or not. And uh, this is—I mean—it it veers more grown up. This is—it's rated PG, but I'd almost say it's even a little bit more grown up than that. But I—I uh, I, I just think it's great. It's—it's uh, it's about a young girl who's from the upper class of the uh, of the Russian elite. And uh, who just wants to be an explorer like her grandfather. And um, it's, really, it's really quite a wonderful look at uh, you know, a young girl. It's, it's like we, we see it a lot with um, even Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm. Uh, which, by the way, the live-action Beauty and the Beast, oh, yeah. I cannot hear the end of it. My daughter just every day. Can we go see the grown-up Beauty and the Beast? It's not, <laughs> out, it's not out yet. I want to see grown-up Beauty and the Beast. Not out yet. She doesn't understand what not out yet means. She sees a commercial. <laughs> Let's 40, go see it. It well, must be yeah. out. <laughs> anyway Daddy so it's
0: make that, it happen
1: it's a similar kind of young girl empowerment thing it's really beautifully done uh i'm sorry this didn't get really more attention uh theatrically so definitely look it up, please long way north that's on blu-ray and dvd uh with a digital download and then we also have trolls on 4k heaven only knows why um Uh, you know what 4K will show you uh, really really detailed uh, very mediocre animation Uh, these dumb little troll toys that we have all laughed at at novelty shops for decades and decades I don't know why somebody over at DreamWorks thought that that was worthy of an animated film but they did and it comes off as kind of like Smurfs on acid and that's the only thing I can tell you uh, one of the, the didn't didn't the song from this thing get an Oscar nomination? Oh yeah, this thing's Oscar nominated. Yeah, yeah. That is not going to win. Yeah, I just want you to know that right yeah. now. Trolls, you are, you should be happy with it, with one nomination. Uh, I didn't think it was that funny. I know a lot of kids that really really loved it. Look in the wake of,
0: of even finding Dory, let alone something like Red Turtle or yeah. even. Uh, Kubo and the Deep yeah, Strings. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. This, this, movie, this movie is almost no. irrelevant. Anyway,
1: uh, the, the reason the song got nominated is Justin Timberlake, who does a voice in the movie, wrote the song. So, yeah. you know, JT gets, a, gets an Oscar nomination. No, I, few. I'm
0: pretty sure that Pharrell song out of Hidden Figures has got that all wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, yeah,
1: well... But I, I think I think uh Lala oh, la, land. La, la land, yeah, Lala la land's, yeah. la, la land's gonna get it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I also got Masterminds. Um, I know a little bit of the backstory on this, but regardless, uh, full disclosure, I actually I, I uh, sort of know the guy who wrote it as well. Um, you know what? It's a perfectly funny, uh, quirky, offbeat, funny film. Um, it's not quite what you would expect given the cast. However, uh, you know when you consider that this movie has four of, arguably four of the funniest people on the planet, Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig, Owen Wilson, Jason Sudeikis, um, you would think, wow, that's really going to just completely kill it. Um, But Jared Hess, who directed it, did not write it, who, of course, you know, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre and so forth, has a very, very particular style. And um, while it is funny, you do have to kind of, you know, shift your mental gears a a little moment uh, early on and realize you're not watching something made by a major studio. Um, so, that said, this got a little bit caught up in the Relativity quagmire for a moment. When Relativity was going through its the bankruptcy, they had to bump the release date on this thing. And so I think it's sabotaged its uh, its theatrical release uh, just a little bit. So, definitely worth checking out, but be prepared to sort of shift gears a little bit from what you normally expect in a comedy. That said, I really, really think it's funny, and I'm amazed that this is presumably a true story. I'd love to know exactly how much of it is true. Um, you know, for just... Crazy, whack job, goofy outlaws, and it's a heist film where everything that can go wrong does go wrong. So anyway, it is uh, it is inspired indeed by a ridiculous true story, but I got to find out just how ridiculously true it really is.
0: Yeah, it doesn't always make for a good movie. No, uh, but sometimes it does. Yeah, I got one here. When we knock this one off, yeah, let's do it. Two Lovers, uh, is the name of a film. Uh, the name of the film, Two Lovers and the Bear. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting film, mostly because of the setting. It's about these two uh, young people who are at this uh, remote outpost near the North Pole. Uh, They fall in love. Uh, uh, One of them has some issues, and uh, they decide that they're going to take a deep, deep trek uh, into the Arctic tundra to try to work out their issues. I don't know if that's a good idea. Put <laughs> in the context of the film, it works out okay. Some lovely, lovely footage, uh, you know, up in the great white north, uh, polar bears and all that kind of stuff. Not particularly much on the film here, uh, but, you know, um, you know, a lovely sort of uh, heartfelt. The, you know, you, what, uh, you ever watch um, uh, Orphan, Orphan Black? Yeah, yeah. The, the girl from Orphan Black she's who plays terrific. all the characters, she's fantastic, she's the girl in the movie. Oh, that's great. And that's what's, that's what's interesting but about then. the No, But she's only playing the one girl. So you know, it's not like orphan.
1: Boy. Got a couple of guys with guns movies. You always got to love it when it, when a Blu-ray or a DVD has a guy with a gun on the cover. It just it, <laughs> you know, you, you don't need to. Who cares what it's about? It's a guy it, with a gun. It's so 80s. It, it really is. So Idris Elba, um, who really is in kind of a groove now, I think he realizes that if he wants to just make a, make a crappy movie where he's a guy with a gun, it's okay. Because people love him and no one's going to hold it against him because it's a payday. Yeah. Uh, Idris, Idris continues to uh, just be the, the Teflon movie star these days. In uh, The Take, which is otherwise pretty mediocre. This is a Blu-ray with a, an ultraviolet uh, uh, coat on it. Uh, he just plays one of those rogue spies who's, you know, trying to figure something out. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a, uh, a heist and a whole thing that happens. And, uh, you know, he's just running around with a gun putting the pieces together. We've seen this movie a thousand times. There's nothing particularly amazing about it. But you know what? It's got Idris Elba in it. So, Man. therefore, it is by definition unique. And then um, a little bit more interesting is Desierto. Uh, this is with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Gail Garcia Bernal. This is... Um, I thought it was pretty good. It's not bad, right? It's not bad. So uh, the this is directed by uh, Jonas Cuaron, who is Alfonso Cuaron's son, who was his co-writer on Gravity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and Jonas is, you know, not a bad filmmaker. I don't know that he's in the same league with his dad but he's he's certainly learned a few things he's a he's a decent writer and uh he you know he put a pretty decent little movie together here for his directing debut and um you know i, I don't begrudge him any of that nepotism uh he certainly uh paid his dues and, and earned his shot so uh you know this is one of those movies where you got uh, like you know uh bunch of guys in the down it takes place around the US Mexican border right mm-hmm. the, the dangerous lands the modern badlands and it has a little bit of a modern uh, Western flair to it. I would, I would almost call it kind of in the same vein as Hell *Helen High Water*, but uh, maybe just a notch and a half below. Mm. But that's not a bad place to be.
0: No, no, no. Yeah. Funny, funny, funny that, that 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 kind of film, that tone of film, *Helen High yeah. Water*. Of course, nominated uh, for an yeah. Academy Award yeah. in, in one or two categories. I think uh, Jeff Bridges has got one, and the film yeah. itself has one. Right? Yes. Um, uh, you know, if you had, if you had told me a couple of years ago that that kind of film would make it back into the academy award yeah. uh I, I would have you know i would have been like really i don't know yeah. I, I think that's kind of played out but yeah no, no when when done well they're done well i uh,
1: yeah you know the whole the, it, i mean there's a whole you know i won't get into all the details he's jeffrey dean morgan's a bad dude he's been a bad dude ever since he's he, he made his debut as a really sweet guy on Grey's anatomy uh, he's gone on to just play bad dudes yeah well he, he you know he has that face he does Anyway, so he's a bad dude chasing a lot of people around, and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal never plays bad dudes because we're supposed to love him all the time because he has such a sweet face, and that's just the way it is. But anyway, it's uh, you know it's good, it's good. Uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet on that one, Desierto. And um, then Tim, we got a couple of couple of uh, well, Frank and Lola. Kind of dug that too. Michael yeah, Shannon and Gene Poots. Yeah, there. we got two love movies here: uh, Loving and Frank and Lola. Um, you, you like Frank and Lola? I did too. I was surprised it was sweet, but it didn't really make it in the awards mix. Did it? No, no,
0: no. Look, and, and that's that's a bit of odd casting there. You know, they they're set in Las Vegas. He's a chef. She's this fashion designer chick. And um, uh, you, you, there's this whole sort of noir thing going on with a mystery and all of that, but mostly it's just this romance thing. Yeah. And when I think of it, I think of myself. I need a romance, who I'm going to put in my romance. Let me go get Michael Shannon <laughs> and Imogen Poots, and then we'll get in we'll, we'll bump her up against Miss Poots over here, who's yeah. got to be like 15 years younger than him in the first place. Well, it, and let's see what happens. Yet, yeah, oddly, kind of works. It does. I they are both cast so tremendously against
1: type, and yet I like them both so much. But the problem is. They are both the other person in a movie, yeah. right? They're supporting people. It's yeah. it's not. Neither of them is a star per se that anchors a movie. You don't go, oh my gosh, I got to run out and see those two, unless you already just really really love them. But uh, that said, I I think the world of both of them, and I think uh, it took a nice chance. This was at Sundance last year, and uh, Michael Shannon continues to be one of the yeah. most hardworking and interesting actors out
0: there. Matthew Ross film,
1: uh, Loving, which was one of two films. That Jeff Nichols made last year. He did uh, the, uh, the, the the E.T. thing. Oh, yeah. Midnight Special. Yeah,
0: yeah. With, with Michael Shannon. With uh, Michael
1: Shannon. And uh, then he went on and made Loving. I, I respect anybody that can make two feature films in a single year. And yeah. there were a bunch of people that did them last year. Yeah. Um. But Loving is... is Solid. It's really solid. I didn't love it the way I wanted to love it, and I've been I, trying to figure out why. Ruth Negga, of course, played the it got an Oscar nomination. I, for that I part. love
0: both of those performances, actually. Hers, Oscar nominated as you say, his too though. Joel Edgerton. Um, 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 for those I, who don't know, this is the story of the the, the loving couple, Richard Loving and Mildred Loving, whose
1: name is perfect. Uh, but historically, they're the ones that sort of um, they, it was their marriage. Against the law in the South, that led to the uh, 1967 miscegenation case. That's right, which which overturned uh, laws against uh, interracial marriage in America. Yeah, and the nice thing is, it's not a it's not a preachy film. It doesn't sort of lay it on thick. Doesn't wear it on its sleeve.
0: Very quiet. Very quiet. As were these. Humans, uh, as, as these as these two people were, which we know, of course, from from a wonderful documentary. Yes, exactly. Uh, that features footage of of these actual humans, some of which they duplicate in that film, and in a yeah. fairly nice way. Anyway, it's a very solid film, uh, nominated where it's nominated, like, as you said, Ruth. I'm not sure is, is something else nominated about loving, maybe a screenplay or something. It, I, don't I
1: think know. it got a, it may have gotten a
0: screenplay it, not. Yeah. appropriately. You know, not nominated for best pi- picture, for instance, which right. I
1: expected it to be. It, which
0: I, and you know, there's a tenth. Slot there, so plainly it didn't get enough yeah. number ones, correct? Uh, uh, in order to push it up and and, and take up that 10th slot, but, but nevertheless, keep, you know, a solid movie.
1: I think the reason, I think one of the reasons that that it it misses just a tiny bit for me, does. And you look at it; the production value is great. They, I mean, the, the the recreation of the period is perfect. It's flawless. It's beautifully shot. It's really sensitively great acted. Score, great score. Everything's solid. The only thing that I think misses a little bit for me. Is uh, I think I wanted a few places. I wanted the the volume turned up just a little bit in a few places because it doesn't really hit a lot of peaks. Mm. It doesn't have any valleys because it doesn't have any peaks. It's just I wanted a few more, you know, peaks in this thing. But I think also, they try for a little bit of comedy relief with the attorney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was weird. Not necessary
0: and, and, yeah. and, and steps outside what that film was, yeah. was doing. In your right. And look, I get it if, if they didn't want to insinuate some sort of an artificial uh, something in there. But yeah. nevertheless, anyway, solid yeah. movie. Loving. Yeah. Uh,
1: let me throw a, another one in here really quickly. Uh, a little indie that I think is – well, you know, uh, Little Sister is a very odd movie um it's kind of formulaic in the sense that it's one of these movies about somebody who returns home and faces all of these litany of issues that are related to the family and the small town and so forth we've seen that it's you know garden state and on and on and on there's there's a there's a million of these uh this one's a little bit stranger because the girl who goes home she's not in the big city just living a normal life she's trying to be a nun and mm-hmm. Going home, the family isn't just dysfunctional. Her brother is disfigured from fighting in Iraq, you know, like head just consumed in, in some kind of a napalm explosion or some such thing. So it, it really kind of tries to ride a very uncomfortable edge and then push that into some dark comedy. Um, Addison Timlin, who plays Colleen, the lead character, uh, is a, a little bit like a young Winona Ryder, except weirder. That's how she plays it, and I, I, you know, I've seen the dysfunctional family done so many times in movies like this, um, that this sort of seems to be trying a little too hard at times. It felt like it was, you know, quirky for the sake of being quirky. Mm. At the same time, it's got about five or six really, really good scenes, yeah. so I can't not recommend it. Um, but it's definitely for people with a real indie taste. So that uh, that has a whole bunch of bonus features on it. It's on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber uh extended deleted scenes a uh you know home videos and all kinds of other uh, fun little weird quirky things including uh, director Zach Clark's uh um, debut feature excerpts from it that is Rock and Roll uh, Eulogy um so anyway Little Sister and a very a very old Ally Sheedy in this as well, playing her mom, I have to say. <laughs> I was shocked. I just, I, I, don't, I you just go. that's Ally Sheedy? I don't
0: know why I do that thing of where I want oh everyone who was, you know, 19 in my youth to, to just stay yeah. 19. I don't know right. why. It's, it's a brutal thing to do and I should stop doing it. Depressing. Kevin Smith made a movie, did you know that? Kevin yeah. Smith made a movie called Yoga, Yoga hosers? Yeah, yoga. Yo- hosers. Yoga hosers anyway. It's one of these it's self distributed by the way. Self distributed I mean, which of course yeah. he's been threatening to do as so as yeah. though you know anyway, yeah. well, I'm not gonna start crapping on Kevin Smith here. Uh two teenage yoga enthusiasts teen up uh, with this man hunter just sort of battle evil and ancient evil presence, one of those kind of things. Uh he got his buddy he got his buddy Johnny Depp to come out and and be in the movie. Of course, uh, he also got Johnny Depp's daughter Lily Rose Depp to be yeah. in the movie. And the, and if you, get, if you put Johnny Depp's daughter in the movie, guess what? Johnny Depp will do. <laughs> He'll be in. The I movie. guess that. I guess so. Of course, Johnny Depp <laughs> 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 was in <laughs> his previous film that one uh, with yeah. uh, the, where the guy turned into the wardrobe drawer. Yeah, nice, the yeah. Wardrobe Uh There anyway. Uh, um, uh, that's what this is all about. Uh, doesn't look like there's anything particularly interesting on this. Rated PG-13. Actually, there's a, bonu- a bonus featurette. Uh, that that comes with. Yeah. Life on the Line is one of these John Travolta movies that John Travolta has been making yeah. lately. Uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage are my two favorite hair actors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, I, sometimes I, I check out their movies just to see which wig they're going to be wearing. Yeah. I particularly like uh, uh, Nick Cage's sorcerer wig. Yeah. I mean, whenever he plays somebody magical, he wears that long. Anyway, the uh, John is playing, uh, you know, like an everyday guy. Uh, it, it's, the movie, really, it's about these guys who work these sort of high wire tension-wires... Uh, uh, this particular one is set in Beaumont, Texas. Set in Texas, anyway. It's in the middle of a, thor- a storm. They have to go out there and, and keep the electricity going uh, for the folks. And it's uh, it's about his family and a train and a bunch of stuff. It's really bad. Uh, nevertheless, special features, Life on the Line music video, uh, uh, which includes Darius Rucker uh, and some behind-the-scenes stuff and some interviews with the principals there in John Travolta's movie Life on the Line. When did he make that change? When When did John... You know when? When did John? He, about two or three. These 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 are all theatrically yeah. released movies. By the yeah. way, this is this is a theatrically released movie. When did uh, that happen?
1: You know, uh, he he John Travolta has had about five different careers. Yeah,
0: and i mean, he's and he's probably TV, to... TV, TV, TV John Travolta, yeah. Vinnie Barbarino. and then you know movie star John movie star Travolta, in, you know, in, in musicals, you know, Saturday Night Live, musicals, you know, all the way through, yeah. Staying Alive, and a few others. Went away for a while, made some crap movies. Quinn, uh, like Quinn, Quinn brought him back. Yeah, made him a pop icon, John Travolta. Yeah, and then uh, he and
1: then again. he and then he started making you know things like Face Off,
0: Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow, big gigantic big movies, a list director, big movie, big movie, yeah. John Travolta. And then he made his uh, his L. Ron Hubbard thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. His, so he produced that, right? And Duran starred in it and, 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 and yeah. directed it. And I think that might have been the, that might have been what pulled the zip the yeah, record. That, that may know. have,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Life on the Line.
1: So Martin Sheen in a two-disc special edition. This is a DVD only, uh, and the movie is "The Vessel." This is an interesting movie. Um, there, uh, there's a, you know an English-language version and a Spanish-language version on this because it's directed by Julio Quintana. Um, a fascinating kind of movie. Not really a theatrical. This is this is very very niche because Martin Sheen, very religious guy, very Catholic. Yeah. And he,
0: and he speaks Spanish.
1: And he speaks Spanish, and well, because he's he's he well, is Spanish. His <laughs> <He's>, real <laughs> his real name is, is you know Martin Esteves. Uh, you know I went to school with the family. Yeah. They were all Estevez at the time. Uh, anyway, uh, produced by Terrence Malick, who is is his own kind of spiritual. Yeah. So you definitely get two very different sensibilities in this. And here's the deal: this is uh this is about a um a village in South America where a tsunami has killed a whole bunch of people and a decade later one of them comes back to life martin sheen plays the priest what the hell's going on is this uh it's not a zombie movie Mm. it is literally meant to sort of ask some very deep sort of spiritual and and quasi-religious questions and um it it doesn't necessarily answer them to its credit it's meant more to be sort of intellectually and spiritually provocative it's Mm -hmm. an interesting film uh, I wouldn't call it a faith-based film. I'd call it more a spiritual film. Just kind of interesting. It really does split the, the... You know, Martin Sheen's made a number of these very, very sort of Catholic films. Um, uh, and uh, this is not one of those, per se. But he, he's still a great actor.
0: Still does a really, really good job. W- would you call it sci-fi?
1: I'd call it uh it's more in the Malik realm. It okay. really is. It's more like a Malik film that's not directed by Malik, you know, because because like he had all that priest stuff in um not the last one but the uh, uh, the one the, yeah the Ben Affleck uh, one.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because you know the, the one thing that the Malik films doesn't do is engage in anything particularly supernatural. It defers instead yeah. to the sort of scientific thus all of those all of those vignettes in those two Malick films, yeah. three really, if you go all the way back to *Tree of Life*, that have to do with the you know the beginning of the universe and, and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. So interesting that uh, Mr. Estevez went yeah. the other way.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is a kind of a foreign film, kind of not a foreign film. I'm going to mention it here just because it has Matthew Reese in it, and I adore Matthew Reese. This is from Cohen, our good friends at Cohen on Blu-ray. Uh, the film is *Come What May*. This is a World War II uh, drama. Um, basically, sent around the uh, the Nazi invasion in 1940 of uh, of France, and you're in a you know small village in France where people are sort of trying to flee and and make their way away, and it's um it's a it's an interesting multicultural look at that because it's not exclusive about Germans and the French. Uh, the you know there's a young German boy uh who is a bit of who's, whose father was an anti-nazi mm. and then you've got uh you know a, a scottish soldier in this played by matthew reese who is welsh but does the scottish accent rather beautifully <laughs> and um it's it's really it's an interesting little twist on our on our usual germany invades france movies which are kind of a genre unto themselves but um i thought it was a, I thought it was a good little human drama just of very different people, different backgrounds. Uh, not stereotypes, not World War II archetypes. It just kind of these are these are not the people we normally expect to see in a World War II film. Mm. And uh, put them together and see how they deal with the uh, difficult situation. Matthew Reese in Come What May on Blu-ray from Cohen. Very nice film.
0: No, okay, interesting. I got Cross Wars over here. This is uh, Brian Austin Green in the sort of a uh, comic book adaptation uh, of a series of film. A whole bunch of people in this thing got Danny Trejo and Vinnie Jones. Uh, in the movie. And I guess people who know the graphic novel know the graphic novel. Anyway, it features the commentary uh, from the filmmakers and a few others. Uh, I'm not really familiar with this graphic novel series. Mm -hmm. I saw the first film. There's another film uh, that this is based on. So I suppose if you like one, you might like the other um Cross war- Wars on Blu-ray. And then I've got um Almost Christmas here from David Talbert. David Talbert is sort of like uh he's um oh who We, who, we,
1: we were talking about him We like, just talked about know, him we the other day.
0: Uh, yeah, Tyler Perry without the without Madea. Dress. <laughs> yeah. yeah, without yeah. without Madea. But he sort of makes these sort of quasi face based films, mostly sort of urban black yeah. films, mostly, generally speaking, comedic and dramatic, and, uh, and, and, and they come around to sort of like the same themes. And, you know, he gets some pretty good starts in these things. This one stars Danny Glover. This one was kind of neat, um, in that it's, it's sort of serious, but very heartfelt. It did pretty well when it was in theaters. It was about this it's about this family. Uh, they're just a family, sort of a nice middle-class family, and they're celebrating their first Christmas uh, since the matriarch of the family passed away. Uh, and it manages to be sort of poignant and sweet and still funny all at the same time. So good for David Talbert.
1: So Arturo Ripstein is a Mexican director who makes uh, not very commercial movies, but they are internationally acclaimed movies. And uh, he's got one here on from Kino. I wish this was on Blu-ray because this would be a beautiful film on Blu-ray. It's shot in black and white. It's called Bleak Street. So here's the way I'm going to describe Bleak Street. Try not to laugh. Okay. So if you took Wings of Desire – and if the two angels in Wings of Desire were prostitutes who killed people, it would be Bleak Street. Yeah. And if and if and if Berlin was Mexico City, it would be Bleak Street. That's the <laughs> only way I can describe this. So this is this is Wings of Desire with prostitutes, murderous prostitutes instead of uh, helpful angels, set in Mexico City instead of Berlin. I don't know any other way to describe this thing, but beautifully shot, uh, very poetic. Very eerie at times, deeply disturbing, um, interesting film, but if you're not a fan of Ripstein, if you've seen Arturo Ripstein films before, you're not going to get anything different. You know what you're getting into, and you probably won't like it, so you've got to pretty much be a Ripstein fan. All right. Uh, TV. Are we going to dive into some TV now? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get into some TV. Uh, you know, it's political season, so it's a good time to talk about, well, it's you know, after political season, but what better time to talk about season one of Graves, Nick Nolte's TV comeback as a grumbly crusty ex-president that seems to have more than a little bit in common with George W. Bush. Um, <laughs> I, it's, you know, it seems to be pretty obvious, but maybe I'm wrong anyway. Um, he's, uh, you know, this is a guy who was, uh, he was a president quarter century ago and he realizes he screwed up and, you know, now he's kind of trying to make amends now that he's figured out he wasn't a very good president. Um, uh, it, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. It's not as funny as I wanted it to be. I, I it, it sort of wants to be Veep. Mm. You know, Veep has kind of, Veep got everybody drunk on the idea of, hey, we can actually make a kind of a, a political series that's funny and, and you know, yeah, but Julia Louis Dreyfus is funny. Yeah, and I mean, Nolte ain't and that she, funny, and
0: she's not pointing at anybody in particular. No, she's not. You know, so, uh, Julia Louis anyway. Dreyfus. So that's that's the thing. I, there was a Timothy Bottoms series that they did. Uh, you know, wild W was actually yeah. maybe first, first, first a term of W, yeah. and that didn't work for the same reason because it was just pointing directly at him. We'll have to see. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think anyway, so.
1: and we got uh, we got some uh, National Geographic uh, stuff here. I'll just hit these three real quickly. The Incredible Doctor Paul, season nine. I did not know there were nine seasons of this. I had never heard of this, so mm. I'm obviously not watching enough Nat Geo. Um, uh, Dr. Paul is, uh, now the large, the big farmer animal guy. Yeah. He's with, basically with this a, whole family of, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a vet and, uh, he, 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 you know, he's like an amazing vet. Anyway, for nine years, people have watched this guy basically, uh, uh, cure animals of all kinds of. Horrible afflictions. Anyway, it's it's strange that that's gone on for nine years. But he's really good. That is absolutely uh, fascinating. He, and he, yeah, it's just amazing that there's you know nine years of following a guy around, just being a vet and, and fixing animals. And uh, who knew? So it's, it is actually shockingly interesting. Uh, The monsters, the definitive guide, is one of those you know things that Nat Geo does just so they can compete with what they do over at TLC. Why is TLC still called TLC? (laughs) There is nothing irritating. You know what? The learning learning channel. channel. There is nothing about the the, all of that horrible white trash weirdness that they just that. uh, There's nothing learning about that. Nothing to learn from Honey Honey, Boo Boo. Honey Boo Boo is not learning. Good grief! Why they need? They really need to rebrand. It's just TLC was once upon a time a wannabe PBS. Now yeah. it's just like you know we we are trash. It bailed. It bailed. <laughs> anyway, this is one of those things that Nash, Nat Geo does so they can feel like they need they can compete with you know everybody who's gone who's gone for the lowest common denominator. So, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's all about, uh, you know, sharks and squids and giant monsters under the, under the ocean. And, and it tries to sort of make it an informative documentary about sea monsters, but it really isn't. It's just about sharks. It's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just Shark Week and not Shark Geo- Week Nat Geo. It's not Geo's version of Shark Week. That's all it is. Uh, and Generation X gets a little bit more highbrow. This is interesting. Um. Because, you know, I'm not technically Generation X. I'm some generation that's like between mm. the baby boomer. You're a baby boomer.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm the last year.
1: Yeah. See, I'm between – I was talking to my sister-in-law because she's also a baby boomer. I'm between the boomers and Gen X. Yeah. And these don't, things don't have sort of firm years in many places. So I'm like that lost generation. I don't really know what I'm. Supposed I, I, to be. I know
0: exactly what you mean because you know I, technically last year of the baby boom, sixty one.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, it, it's my year, uh, and but but I, I got to tell you, that my mother who was born in like I don't know, like I want to want to say like forty two or something yeah. like that, which is technically a couple of years uh, before the baby boom. Baby yeah. boom starts right at the right at the end of the war, but this puts me and my mother way too close together. <laughs> well, so anyway. I'm like, you know what? I'm claiming Gen X.
1: Two discs, six episodes of the 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 major milestones of the Gen X generation, and it includes, you know, Tiananmen and the fall of the Berlin Wall, and. All of this stuff, and uh, you know, it kind of begins with with Watergate and Nixon, and and moves on through all of this really interesting stuff. And it is it is fascinating what Gen X really went through. It it explains a great deal. Um, certainly explains my my incredible disdain for Gen X and, and why I'm. I, <laughs> See, I
0: never did have that. You you were, oh, you, you yeah. were always a little pissed. Yeah, right? but I you know I hate everybody. Uh, That's they, who I am. They, they, they didn't bother me all that much. Uh, I got a little TV over here. Yeah. Uh, A series that I truly loved back in 1987 when it first premiered. This is the first and second season of Hooperman starring the late John Ritter. Oh, fabulous. Uh, I particularly loved uh, Barbara Balsam and others. What I loved about this series, it's uh, ushered in that early era of comedic television without uh, laugh tracks.
1: Yeah. It was
0: this and Frank's Place and a few others, uh, none of which lasted very long, by the way. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought it was some of the most sophisticated Now around the same time that this was happening, uh, the Fox network was hitting uh, the scene. Uh, and and bringing us the oh the Simpsons, uh, well the Tracy Ullman show. Oh yeah. Oh excuse me with those little interludes of yeah. the Simpsons in between them, which are all freaky it. when you watch them now because yeah, they don't they, look anything they, like they're, the, they're
1: they're they're melty and weird and and very kind, kind of quivery of that LSD designs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway,
0: right, this was a pretty neat series. I remember loving Hooperman. He played a cop in San Francisco. Uh, he had a little dog, uh, and uh, he was always looking for a girlfriend. It was a pretty neat series. Seasons one and two of Hooperman. Uh, there, Homeland, the complete fifth season, was never a Homeland fan. I, I always it, felt like Claire Danes uh, was playing, and I know she's, she was supposed to have what, uh, she was suffering from some sort of a mental illness. Yeah, and, well, like a, like a yeah, PTSD or something, yeah, wasn't it? And, and yeah. She didn't always take her meds. Uh, in, yeah. in the series Because she, you know, she needed to be To have all of her senses On the, on the so she, edge So she, so she could figure out end. About all these terrorists yeah. And whatnot. And so she was always Just a little sharp And itchy for me And I'm thinking about Claire Danes I'm thinking about my so-called life Yeah a Girl with I fell in love <laughs> with. I'm like Who is this twitchy chick Who, <laughs> you know So anyway, yeah. anyway But lots of people love uh, Homeland Fifth complete season of Homeland here Special features uh, The evolution of Carrie Matheson you know, The character she plays Homeland in Berlin Beyond the Wall so that season covers that. Uh, I also have the IT crowd here. Are you, are you a big fan of the IT crowd? Not really. You know, funny occasionally for me. Yeah. These, these people are all very cl- clever. Uh, and, and all of these jokes are very clever. Yeah. But you know what? Get too many clever people. In the room yeah. and you just want to smack everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I want to do commentary track with uh, uh, Graham uh, Lin, Linhan, a featurette here as well, the IT crowd, and Rizzoli. the seventh and final season, which I happen to have watched of Rizzoli and Isles. Uh, look, what I'm going to tell you. Um, it ain't it, Cagney and Lacey. It ain't Cagney and Lacey, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know. Look, I had a thing for Rizzoli. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like that's not true. Love Bruce McGill on this series. Um, you know, neat, neat, neat show. Uh, seven seasons did good. All right, I got some classic TV here that I'm
1: going uh, to drill down on, and uh, we're talking really fun classic stuff. So, the Red Skelton Hour, in color. This is the first time that this has been out. Um, three DVDs of uh, never-before-seen episodes of Red Skelton's show, All in Color, in that really cool color that TV once had. Where Yeah everything just popped because maybe. it was just saturated because people understood that you didn't have a your Your television signal was coming over the air. You had about, you know, 340 lines on your TV <laughs> and, and that electron gun was not going to be able to handle a whole lot of colors. So you got to wear blue and black and red and green primary colors. Let them, let them shine. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of great guest stars here. Milton Burl and Phyllis Diller and George Goebel, Um, Martha Ray, Mickey Rooney, who's on every single show ever. Merv Griffin, it's great. Robert Goulet sings. I had a lot of fun with this. So that's uh, the Red Skelton Hour in color uh, from Time Life. And then, uh, almost as wonderful, is uh, The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Johnny and Friends. This is three actual complete Tonight Shows with original commercials. which is pretty great because it just totally takes you back and um, it is amazing that Jerry Seinfeld has been doing the exact same routine for like 30 years (laughs) and he hasn't aged he looks the same I mean you watch this and you just think wait a minute has his it does is is he just caught in the time warp? Like well, he's he, gets Clark, out he's and a, he does his thing, and he's, he's Jerry's on, and it just doesn't change. You know, just keep 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 the
0: same subject matter going. Because okay. the funny thing is, Jay Leno changed.
1: You know, no. I I was a physically
0: few- changed in his comedy changed.
1: Oh, his comedy totally changed because Jay Leno used to be the guy who would tell these long stories, uh, and when he went up on the Tonight Show, everything was you know. It was rapid fire. It was like a joke every five, ten seconds. You know, he he really switched it up, and his stand up before that was completely different. It's yeah, amazing.
0: He'd, he'd do all those Mavis jokes, and all. yeah, do, really, 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 really neat stuff. Uh,
1: Dynasty, the first season, is also out, uh, and uh, you know what? What can I say? It's Dynasty. I I this was the, the by the way, this is the season that had Al Corley mm-hmm. playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, David Carrington, and um. Blake Carrington of course played played by uh, John uh... Forsythe Horsight, who at the time was also being Charlie on Char- the voice of Charlie and Charlie's Jones Angels? Angels yeah. And I remember thinking, man, if anything happens to him, ABC is screwed. <laughs> they lose they lose not only the star of Dynasty, but the voice of Charlie and Charlie's Angels. You're done. The, um,
0: first, se- the first season of Dynasty was pretty fantastic. Uh, Linda Evans was still breathtakingly beautiful she was, it, in look, the
1: early 80s. This first season is really sharp. It was, let's be honest, this was a total response. Just CBS is Dallas, CBS's Dallas. Yeah. and uh, ABC said, "Well, we're going to out Dallas, Dallas. Yeah. We're going to, you know, we're going to really defeat you." And they made the very smart move that they're not going to have a guy be the villain. They went and had a
0: woman be the I villain, was the ex Literally, the thing of that, Joan Collins comes in. Uh, as, a, as as just a force, yes, in, in, in that show, and it's just yeah,
1: it's yeah. it was very very smart when they did that. So in any case, uh, I mean, Al Corley plays Stephen Carrington. I shouldn't have said David mm-hmm. Stephen Carrington. So uh, Al Corley left the show after the first season, as did Pamela Sue Martin, yes, who plays uh, Fallon Carrington. So they had to reinvent the children on the show. With new actors, which somehow they managed to do rather courageously. Off, yeah. They pulled it off because, you know, soap operas do that all the time. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. It's a very different show in its first season than it was in later seasons when it just got into complete camp and kitsch and just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I just watched that cat fight again the other day. That is just some of the most wonderfully horrible television I've ever seen. And then <gasps> oh. the last classic TV bit, Quantum Leap, is out in a complete series uh, from Leap. Mill Creek. Quantum Leap, still a cool show. Uh, you know uh, Scott Bakula. This is where he kind of nailed it down, and Dean Stockwell is his uh, his kind of time tripping companion.
0: It's the a very concept of that show, uh, right out of the box, is high concept. It's Doctor Who without Doctor you know, Who. Uh, uh, it's Scott Bakula. Uh, you know, I have to say, my exquisite wife Bridget is in an episode of Quantum Leap. Fantastic. Plays, plays Anita Hill. Uh, In an episode of Quantum Leap, it's a reference back to all of that. I
1: knew that, and I'd totally forgotten that. (laughs) So all five seasons, 97 episodes. They couldn't get three more and get to 100. Anyway, uh, you know what? Fun show, real fun show, still out there
0: uh, in the Zeitgeist and Quantum Leap Complete Series from Mill Creek. Totally watchable today uh from from this year the complete second season ballers Dwayne Johnson's show about a former football player you know after the you know, one day after yeah. the, the super bowl uh who becomes an agent you know uh, i don't a lot of people who are Really bananas about this show. Obviously, you got all the football players who so show sure. up on the show all the time. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, that's doing pretty good. Second season, uh, a lot of bonus features on this thing play by play, uh, play by play commentary on each one of the uh, episodes, uh, bonus segments featuring interviews uh, with the uh, producers of the show, and a little bit of extra Dwayne Johnson uh, there for you. For those of you who cannot get enough. Uh, uh, from the, the From Dust Till Dawn series, uh, Robert Rodriguez is uh, pretty much the only thing on El Rey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only original programming on El Rey is this series. This is season three of uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, which you can watch over there on that series. I don't know. I, look, this is all fine, but uh, the vampire theme—you uh, know—if if, if you're, if you're, if you're rolling with it, you're rolling with it. All kinds of bonus features on this thing for you to enjoy: featurettes and behind-the-scenes interviews and and uh, and, uh, and the deleted scenes, all kinds of stuff. Audio commentaries, lots of stuff from *Dust Till Dawn* season three. Um, I did not see this series, uh, Vice Principals, with Danny McBride and Walton, Go- Walton Goggs. This is yeah. the first complete season. HBO. Uh, on, on HBO. I didn't see it. <clears throat> so I don't know much about it. I do know this. Love Danny Pryde. Double love Walton Goggins. Who's really become a thing, hasn't he? Yeah, you know. He has. Uh, uh, he can play almost anything. It's very funny. You know Walton Goggins from Hateful Eight. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the sort of primary characters from Quint- Yeah. He he,
1: he is, uh, he, uh, Walton Goggins is a guy who would have otherwise had a career in westerns in the 1960s. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? He, he, he played. He's one of the, like Lee Van Cleef. He's like, he's that kind of a guy. It's just, you can, you plug him into something really Really, just rednecky and dirty, and he always seems to come through with something
0: interesting and unique. He's with a the fascinating voice, actor. Bill Murray shows up in this in this series. Uh, some interesting bonus features, deleted scenes, a blooper reel, and nine nine audio commentary tracks.
1: All right, I'm going to go from the sublime to the ridiculous here real quickly and uh, start off with uh, Season 1 of Versailles, which I am absolutely loving. This is one of the best things o- o- on TV. I just I cannot get enough of Versailles. Um, it is, uh, I'm, I'm watching it on Netflix, and they uh, sent us a Blu-ray, which I'm elated with because now I can watch it on Blu-ray and get better resolution. Uh, this is all about the uh, court of King Louis XIV, played by uh, George Blagden. And uh, it is extraordinary This is 17th century uh, French court intrigue And it is amazing How it mirrors So many of the same political and social Machinations we have today We don't change as people I keep saying we're cavemen with computers And we are man Uh, It is amazing This is just really great stuff Really well written, beautifully produced uh, Incredible production value One of the best things on TV and uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's Canadian. <laughs> Canadian television isn't supposed to be that good. And then uh, on the end of The Ridiculous, uh, we've got three here. Uh, Frankenstein, the real story, and the real wolfman from uh, History Channel. This is, you know, uh, just a couple of those History Channel uh, uh, quickies that they throw together. They just let let everybody loose on their, on their editing team and somehow it comes up. Neither one of them tell you much about Frankenstein or the Wolfman legend, but it's diversionary. Uh, Sabrina Down Under with Melissa Joan Hart is, uh, you know, basically, uh, if you're a fan of that just dreadful Sabrina the Teenage Witch show, uh, uh, well, then uh, you get to watch her go to Australia and meet mermaids. There's really no other reason to watch this. Uh, I, you know... It's it's, no, it's never quite get my mind I, around that It's just one. silly. And then uh, season seven. Season seven. Seven years. Are you kidding me, History Channel? Seven years of swamp people?
0: Yeah.
1: Are you kidding me? It's not even Duck Dynasty. These people aren't even rich. At least the Duck Dynasty people are rich. Yeah, yeah. The swamp yeah. people aren't rich. They yeah. just live in the swamp and they, they kill gators and fish and, and, and they wear waders and I don't understand. I just don't understand this show. Um, you know, but whatever. It's, you know, people in New Orleans love New Orleans, and that's what they do. So, uh, this is 13 episodes of these just really disturbing people. And, uh, History Channel continues to make things that have nothing to do with history, just like the Learning Channel makes things that have nothing to do with learning. Which is just so
0: disturbing. It's deeply disturbing. Thank you for letting me do uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the complete series. The complete yes. box set here. The so.
1: third ever Star Trek series. Yeah. This was the one where... Started in
0: 1993.
1: This was the one, right, where they said, can we do a Star Trek series that isn't centered around a starship named Enterprise? Can we actually
0: do a new thing? It's a a really complicated thing to pull off. This is 173 episodes with all kinds of special features here. It's a really complicated thing to pull off because we're we're doing a couple of things here, for one thing. All right, we got got ourselves a black commander. The series began in 1993. Uh, he's on this space station, which is really a wonderful kind of notion because it's a crossroads for every That's culture it. that can possibly be it's there. It's like a Western. It's In, Dodge City. It's, right? it's, it's the, he's he's the yeah. sheriff of Dodge City. He's yep. Gary Cooper. He's all again, and of course, it's played by the exquisite Avery Brooks. Yeah, uh, with that fantastic voice, who I first came to love, of course, playing Hawk and Spencer for Hire. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah we have a, a, an affection for these in any case i 'm a big fan of this series. It was sort of a, It was sort of the spiritual uh, anchor of of the uh, Star Trek series, as everybody else was sort of going out doing their westerns. much of what went on on Deep Space Nine had to do with these notions of spirituality again yeah. uh, from these different cultures the very The very wormhole that the space station Deep Space Nine was juxtaposed against. Was believed to be a conduit uh, it, it's
1: to a, it's a different a, dimension.
0: Amazing the,
1: the how this show really, really came into its own. I, uh, I, I, I and, and Avery, you know, was coming off of being coming um, off of playing Hawk on *Fitz and fire, mm-hmm. and which is a totally different thing. Yeah, you know, he really shifted gears, and it, and I, I credit them for giving him that chance and, as, and not locking. For, for, first of all, Avery Brooks, uh, Juilliard trained Shakespearean incredibly actor, incredibly yeah. classically trained actor. Yeah. Who is playing a very? It's a little bit how Morgan Freeman came out. of... Exactly, came uh, off
0: of Main uh, Street and the electric company. Yeah,
1: you know, and and you know, it's very easy, I think, especially for black actors, to get stereotyped into playing the tough roles, yeah. the, the tough cop, the tough hood, the tough whatever. You know, put on sunglasses and a black jacket, and you're John Shaft. All yeah, over particularly again, right? if you
0: happen to be a big ball black, black, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, and
1: <laughs> and you know, they gave him a chance to go from Hawk, which is a pretty obvious bit of casting, to yeah. a a captain of a space station in the future. And he kills it. He's a completely different
0: guy. And you realize what great range he had in it's that moment. It's a very solid – it, look, it's a very solid um, um, uh, part of the Star Trek yeah. g- uh, world and generation yeah. with a few crossover characters too. Worf crosses over into that series yeah. A bunch of things. Good it's stuff. good.
1: All right. Uh, let's, let's try to wrap up here with some foreign stuff. I've um, got a few things here. The People versus Fritz Bauer. A uh, which is all about the hunt for Adolf Eichmann it is incredibly well done this is a really strong film one of the better films of, of uh, last year this is from Cohen Cohen really did a great job with this directed by uh, Lars Kraum And this swept all the major awards at the German Film Awards and very, very deservedly. Set in 1957 and uh, just follows the paces of this story absolutely to a perfect T. Beautifully acted, beautifully made in every conceivable way. Um, It's really, really worth seeing. Uh, Just a beautifully, beautifully made film about a really important piece of history. And then a great French film from last year, which uh, was the Cannes Film Festival winner for uh, Best Actress for Emmanuel Berko. I'm I'm sad that it didn't do better here theatrically. I'm really really sad that Film Movement isn't releasing this on Blu-ray, mm. but we at least get it on DVD. And it is the film is My King, um, otherwise known as uh, Mon Roi. It goes by both titles. Uh, directed by Mai Wen, who uh, did uh, a pol- Police a few years ago. Now Mai Wen is a really interesting director because. Her background, if you if you watch this really dysfunctional relationship in this movie, you have to understand my Wen was a teenager when she had an affair with, um, Luc Besson. Mm. Okay, so she and Luc Besson, and and she you know they had a kid together, and there's a whole it's a rather scandalous relationship that she had with Luc Besson, mm. and I won't get in all the details. You can Google it, but. um Uh, Mai Wen is, nonetheless, an amazing uh, director. She is the sister of Isild Lebesco, the actress, who is in this as well. So uh, all of that out of the way, My King is really an extraordinary film about two people who should simply not be together. But they are compelled to be together. And Vincent Cassell plays the guy who sweeps Emmanuel Berco off her feet... And then, of course, this relationship goes through all kinds of twists and turns in a very kind of Ingmar Bergman-esque way over the years. And it winds up being incredibly powerful and very poignant. And I, I highly recommend this. It's a clinic in great acting and great filmmaking, especially directing of actors. Includes outtakes in a deleted scene, as well as the uh, short film that Mai Wen made uh, called I'm an Actress. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a real, it's a, it's a treat for My Wen fans. I just wish it
0: was on Blu-ray. Yeah. Kamikaze 89, uh, which, interestingly enough, came out in
1: 1982.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, directed by Wolf Grimm, but uh, starring uh, Fassbender. Yeah. Uh, uh, Warner Fassbender, a total, totalitarian society movie. He's a cop. There are these bombings going on. He's like this super cop, this badass super cop who wears this sort of, uh, uh, what is it, I guess leopard spotted... Is le- yeah. Leopards have spots, right? Tigers yeah. have stripes yeah. leopard spotted suit. Yeah. Uh It's very sexy. It's, it's sexy... Particularly now, because you know you, I look at this stuff now and it's like, it's like uh, you know solving, you know, in juxtaposition to some of the things going on in society, it's very interesting, but more, more importantly, it's just sexy uh,
1: <laughs> it's just,
0: And I, I, I like it a lot. Bonus features uh, it, include a, a, a documentary by uh, Wolf Grimm and a commentary track from a, from a couple of very important uh, film historians, as well as a, a few radio spots for the film when it came out in uh, another documentary too, uh, the uh, Park Chan Wooks "The Handmaiden," which I thought we would be talking a little bit more about. I
1: did too. Now, and it's not on Blu-ray either, and that's really no, upsetting this is to me. No, it's on DVD. And Fantastic movie by, been. by the way. It, really good. Uh, uh, his, that, I th- I'd say his best film since Old Boy. I would. Say, you well,
0: know. He, he he. Well, yeah, he made that one movie that I didn't care much for, yeah. um, Stoker. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The best film since, since Oldboy, yeah. for sure. Um, anyway, it's a very, very bright film that has to do with the Japanese and Korean societies and how they come together in a, in a very, very complicated sort of a scheme uh, that's going on. Uh, that has a cross and a double cross and a double 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 cross mm-hmm. uh, and it, and you just have to sit there and let you, let it overwhelm you it's incredibly beautiful and it has a bit of what I would have to call it, they call it you know an erotic thriller. It has something that I would, uh, I would have to say a po- to softcore porn <laughs> if we're right in this if we're not if yeah. we're not actually doing softcore porn we're right outside yeah. the door of softcore porn fantastic uh, se- sequence little yeah. lesbian little lesbian love scene I'm talking about here. Uh, it's fantastic secrets, but you know, you better be ready, uh, for that one. Put the kids You know, bed.
1: I, uh, I, I, uh, I had a pretty good joke yesterday, by the way, as yeah. long as we're on the subject. Yeah. I, um, friend of mine posted a, uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. with, after the Super Bowl. he said, uh, I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since Hillary Clinton. And <laughs> I said to him, I said, oh no, 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 dude, dude, this is a buddy of mine from, from, from film school, I said, you missed the comedy opportunity. This is what you should have posted. I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since Vincent Gallo in The Brown Bunny. (laughs) That's the joke. That's the joke. That's
0: a film film people joke there. Yes,
1: it is, but he enjoyed that. And anybody who's seen The Brown Bunny, you will
0: understand
1: what that means. I haven't seen a lead... And you're free to lose. I'm putting that in the public domain. I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since uh, Vincent Gallo in The Brown Bunny. Feel free to use that. Make it viral. Okay, uh, and then our last four uh, foreign language titles here... Umberto Lenzi, a schlockmeister from Italy, uh, courtesy of Raro Video and Kino, we now get the Raro Video release of Sacrifice, the uncensored director's cut. Now that's not just Sacrifice, that's Sacrifice with an exclamation point. Point, yeah. Because this belongs to... You may not have known this. Did you know that there is a subgenre of Italian cannibal movies?
0: No. I that, didn't either. It's,
1: it's, beyond Argento and all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, no. There's, it is cannibal specifically movies. cannibal movies made in Italy. Okay. This is one of them. This is the one that apparently started the whole in thing. In the same
0: way that there are Italian westerns and yeah. there are
1: Italian, Italian cannibal movies. cannibal movies. 1972... Uh, a bunch of people go to Thailand and uh, where they apparently eat people. Uh, there's, it's really, it's yeah. Is it shocking? Yes. Is it? Uh, but is it like you know, uh, modern day gore shocking? Like, uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's not even in that realm. Um, but I will say this: uh, there are no cannibals in Thailand. There are cannibals in Indonesia. Yeah. And I know this because when I lived in France, uh, I was friends with a family of Indonesian diplomats. A kid named Frankie, coolest kid in the world. And his dad was, like, some kind of – he was part of the uh, the, the, the consulate there, the mm. Indonesian consulate in Marseille. And I remember hanging out with Frankie and his brother, and they were telling us, like, oh, yeah, we got cannibals in Indonesia. I don't even remember how we got talking about cannibals. <laughs> but it was very matter-of-fact. And I said, what? He goes, oh, yeah, there's – you know, in Indonesia there's a lot of islands. Islands out there someplace. A lot of islands. There's, like, cannibals in some of those islands. I said, Really? Like, but how do you? you know, nobody goes there. It's like it's not like you know. It's not like anybody actually. You know, you you resupply the island. It's not like anyone go votes for president there. Uh, it just ha- people there don't even know they're part of the country.
0: They don't even know they're in Indonesia. <gasps> they don't know they're in Indonesia. They're on an right.
1: island. They 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 war. They fight. They eat each other. And uh, you know yeah. everybody else knows you're part of our country, but we ain't going there. We're just gonna let let you, evolution take. So take, anyway, I thought that was a fascinating discovery. And then uh, here before I get to a couple of giveaways to wrap out the show, uh, Takashi Mike, who is completely oh, out of his mind, yes, made the uh, Black Society trilogy. Uh, Shingoku Triad Society, Rainy Dog, and uh, Ley Lines. Uh, these are, you know, I, there's almost no way to actually explain Mike to people who just don't know Miki. Uh Mike at a certain point, um, was making something like five or six movies a year. I don't know anyone who's seen all of his movies. I did a commentary for Gozu years ago with Andy, mm-hmm. where I, people liked our commentary, but it was essentially two hours of Andy and, and I saying, yeah, that's weird.
0: <laughs> Andy, isn't that weird? It started it's pretty with audition, weird. Wade. For me, anyway, it started with audition. Audition for sure. In Ninety nine. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know. After that, I was like, okay. Yeah. So anyway, this takes
1: place, uh, you know, nighttime Tokyo, triads, um, you know, yakuza wars, and just all there's a mixed race guy here. It's just it's a lot of crazy, weird yakuza insanity it's just drug fueled yakuza un- flying without a net it's reckless abandoned filmmaking and uh, it, it is Mike. it is pure Mike through and through I've met Mike. I've interviewed Miike he never looks you in the eye he wears sunglasses and stares at the corner of the room and he'll you know if you, if you say uh, you know do you like rainy days he will say uh, you know uh, in Japanese of course <laughs> um, red that's it. <laughs> uh, and, and you're, it's, it's up to you to make the association as to what that has to do. I don't – it's just it's – uh, he's a strange dude, man. I'm but Anyway, so there you go. Takashi a uh, new interview with him here, which is just as cryptic and impossible to de- decipher as, as meeting him in person. Uh, but the, the movies are cool. What can I tell you? They're cool. I still don't get them, but they're cool. And uh, that is the Black Society trilogy. So lastly, we got a couple of super, super cool – uh films here from uh Wellgo. we got uh, giveaways we're gonna give away four copies of beyond redemption with brian ho this is a really really sharp uh just straight up action-packed thriller it is uh it's a it's one of the most solid asian cop films that i've seen in a long time triad plot here going on it it is really really sharp um the um uh brian ho is uh, you know, a guy who's segued from being a stuntman, much as Jackie Chan did. And he's really good. He's a, he is a star to be reckoned with. You're going to want to definitely check this out. Really sharp film. That is Beyond Redemption. So you need to send us, we're going to give away four of these. And uh, make sure that you get us your uh, name and address, mailing address, by uh, February 11th. February 11th is uh, the deadline for this. Um, and uh, once we get them all in, we'll send those out to you. Send it to gods at digigods.com. You're going to put beyond in the subject line. So send us an email with beyond in the subject line, your name and address in the body of the email to gods at Make sure we get it by February 11th, and we'll send out four copies of uh, Beyond Redemption. And then the uh, the other one, we got two of these. Two of these train to Busan. You cannot win both of these. So if we, if, you know, if, if you apply, if you send us an email wanting both, and you get one, you're not going to get the other. So uh, know that going in. Uh, train to Busan by Yon sung Ho is a Korean zombie film that I think is super cool. We're giving away two of those. Send us. A, an email to gods at digigods.com with Busan, B U S A N, in the subject line. Again, name and uh, uh, e- uh, mailing address in the body. And uh, I will say this just to wrap the show out Train to Busan is maybe the best zombie film I have seen in 20 years. Yeah, better than World War Z. Way better, better than, than War Way War Z. better. Because it takes place on a train. Basically, you know, like everything else, there's a viral outbreak. And this guy is trying to get his daughter to her mom. Uh, On the train, and, you know, he's been kind of an absentee dad, and meanwhile, while they're on the train, uh, the zombies are going crazy, and uh, it becomes a little bit like, uh, like, uh, you know, a, uh, well, Well, like Speed, like Speed, right? Like Speed,
0: Runaway Train, Speed. Runaway Train, Speed, it's it's a chase
1: movie. Can't stop the train. And a zombie movie at the same time. Uh, but the socio-political aspect of it, what it says about Korean society and North Korea and fear of the zombies from North Korea, right? Yeah, yeah. There's,
0: there's an actual metaphor at work here. A As opposed to metaphor. World War Z where the zombies are actually just zombies.
1: Great movie. All
0: right, we'll see you next week.